Welcome back to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod in my very echoey staircase and joining me for this week's episode is my good mate Liam W. M. And let me just say Liam, I'm very interested to talk to you about Collingwood this week. Let's just say we'll get to that when, when, when we get to that. I, I, I like to spend as little time thinking about Collingwood as possible at the moment. So we'll, I'll get to that when I get to that. And other than that, I have nothing more to say. <laughs> well, basically, um, the format, dear listener, if you haven't listened to a podcast episode before, same format every single week, basically three different parts to the podcast. Um, we discuss our top two highlights, top two lowlights of the round. Um, and in part one, part two, we discuss four of the major talking points to come out of the round. And then in the final um, final bit, we give predictions for the upcoming weekend of football and what a massive round six it was, Liam. If normally I let the uh, I let the other co-hosts go first, but if it's all right, I think I'm going to start off with obviously my main highlight. Dear listener, if you don't know, I am an Essendon supporter. And if you have been living under a, a rock from a football perspective, Essendon won its first Anzac Day clash since 2017. Interestingly enough, interesting stat, our last five Anzac Day victories, 2005, 2009, 2013, 2017, 2021. So Liam, you should be, look, take a load off, take it easy. You're going to win the next three probably very easily, but 2025, you are going down and you can forget about 2029. God, it was awesome. I remember watching that. I was there, good mate of mine from, um, from back when we were eight years old, we'd known each other, watching, uh, he's a Collingwood supporter. We're watching the game at the ground, 78,000 people. Great to have big crowds back and conceded the first three goals of the game. And I thought, oh dear, this is going to be like 2019, but Colin, we get out to an imposing lead. We reel it back in and we can't do it in the end. Um, no, instead it was much like our victory over Collingwood in 2020, where we conceded the first three goals of the game and then dominated general play for the rest of it. And can I just say, Darcy Parrish. I was reading an article, I can't remember where, called him Darcy Parrish. Darcy Parrish. Might as well be called Darcy Paris because he was as glistening and as magnificent as the City of Lights. He was phenomenal, 42 disposals. And this is, I rarely say this, but he should have gotten more. He was on track for 50. And then I reckon he took the foot off the gas a little bit, which is understandable. You know, if you've had 42 touches already and your team's going to win the game, why would you go ahead and injure yourself trying to get an extra? How, how poor for you, Casper? Parrish only got 42 disposals. Oh, <laughs> what a pain. I know. I know. Interesting enough, though. I remember um, a certain Hawthorne midfielder getting 50 disposals against Collingwood back in 2018, and Nathan Buckley said that it didn't make that big of an impact. So please yeah, look, find out whether or not Nathan Buckley thought that Darcy Parrish had any real impact on the game. We like to, you know, sharing is caring in Collingwood sense, and we like to, you know, ensure that um, the opposition have plenty of the ball generally. Well, you were very generous with those uh, clearing kicks out of the defensive 50. Um, I'll say this as well. My second highlight, so first highlight, obviously, Essendon. Second highlight, I've doubted this team a lot. Doubted them in the offseason. 
doubted them the first five weeks. I thought they looked really ordinary to start this season. But there is no better way to stamp your premiership authority than by annihilating another premiership contender. 97 points. 97, for me, when I think of Geelong big victories against fellow premiership contenders, 2010, I think it was round 19, or maybe maybe round 20. It was the Dogs versus the Cats at Marvel Stadium. Bulldogs, I think, kicked three of the first four goals of the game. Commentator Tim Lane said the Geelong Empire is over, or Geelong Days of Dominance is over, something like that. And um, Geelong kicked 10 goals in the second quarter, exactly like they did against the Eagles. Uh, the margin against the Dogs was a little bit bigger, 101 points. But by that stage, 101 points, 97 points, it doesn't matter really. Point is, you gave the Eagles their biggest loss since 2009, Adam Simpson's worst loss as a head coach. And you, in the minds of many, finally kickstarted your season. And doesn't Jeremy Cameron look good already? Jeez, that's going to be a nightmare combination for any defense. Yeah. Good luck with that. You look at the Eagles. I thought West Coast were going to have too many forward options, even with Kennedy missing. You know, I looked at Allen and I looked at Darling. I thought that would be too too much for the Cats defense to handle. Instead, it's the exact opposite way around. So full kudos to you, Geelong. How about you, Liam? Your top two highlights from the weekend. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on Geelong. Um, just simply unbelievable. I mean, <laughs> nobody beats West Coast by that kind of margin, um, you know. That, that, that is just one of the most, I think, um, comprehensive wins that we've seen in a long time. Um, not so much, I mean, the margin itself was remarkable. I mean, 97 points, you don't see probably more than a handful of times a year. But the fact that it was against the West Coast Eagles, who have been, for, for the best part of the last four or five years, one of the kind of consistent, you know, top four contenders is just absolutely remarkable. And it feels like every year, uh, Geelong continue to prove you wrong because because <laughs> both last year and this year you were, you were skeptical of you know how well they'd go um, because of their aging squad but I think Geelong just seemed to have the right system in place um, so I think that was definitely my first highlight the second one I mean it's hard for me to pick because obviously you know I think of Anzac Day and I think you know even though my team lost it was great to see seventy eight thousand plus fans there. Um, but then also the fact that I was also very impressed by Melbourne who managed to beat Richmond. And in the case of um, something a bit different, I will go with that. Um, Cause I think another team who did kind of solidify themselves as potentially, you know, uh, you know, a premiership contender is Melbourne, you know, beating the reigning, you know, premiers by 34 points, you know, quite comprehensively uh, is very impressive. And I mean, they led pretty much, you know, for two and a half quarters, you know, Richmond got a bit of a head start, but by midway through the second quarter, Melbourne just took off. And I mean, by three quarter time, they were just kind of getting away from Richmond really. So uh, that's probably my second highlight for the week. Yep. Melbourne supporters, your team is the real deal. You better believe it. And some might think, well, hold on a second. North Melbourne in 2016 won their first nine games of the year. And then only finished with 12 wins and they got annihilated in the elimination final. 
Yeah, but you look at how Melbourne are beating, are defeating teams. North Melbourne during that ninth game stretch had some very unconvincing victories. They defeated Essendon's Frankenstein squad by only a couple of goals. They beat the Saints, who at that point of the season looked like they were probably going to miss finals from memory, by just seven points. And only because um, Mason Wood, I believe his name was, ran out the shot clock. Very smart. Very smart. St. Kilda fans didn't like it, but it was very smart play. And by the end of the season, North finished just above St. Kilda in that spot for eighth, just on percentage alone. Melbourne, on the other hand, has annihilated almost every single team they've played. Their most unconvincing victory was probably back in round one, and they still won by over 30 points. Like, that's how good they are, Melbourne, at the moment. Yeah, very convincing team. Very. How about you, Liam, uh, your two lowlights for the weekend? Well, my two lowlights are probably regarding the final two games of the week. Um, I just think even though Collingwood only lost by four goals, the overall performance and the way they played was just so poor, um, so negative. I think they were so lucky to only lose by four goals. I think the way Essendon played in comparison to Collingwood, it should have been at least 40 points. I just think that Collingwood were super reliant on their defence as they often have been for, I think, the last 12 to 18 months. Uh, and, you know, kudos to our defence because I give them a lot of credit for keeping us in games because I think that our midfield and our forward line are just so inconsistent and all over the place that if our defence couldn't take the battering that it does, we probably can see the 150 points a game. Um, but they managed to hold out for large periods of games to keep us in it. So that's my first low light. And uh, my second, I mean, St Kilda are just so hard to understand. I mean, last year it looked like they were kind of they'd kind of turned a corner. They were coming up. We thought this year they could kind of build on that, and they got absolutely annihilated by Port Adelaide. Now, obviously, no one's doubting that Port Adelaide are you know one of the better teams in the comp this year. They'll probably be pushing for you know a top four finish. But I think that you know, I think people would have expected more of St Kilda uh, than to be beaten by nine goals. I think that St Kilda have got a long way to go um, this year. I mean, they've got two wins, four losses. I think they would have been thinking before the start of the year, they would probably want it the other way around. They probably would have been thinking at least three or four wins by now. Um, so I think St Kilda, it could be a case of the so-called resurgence, which started last year, has probably hit a roadblock and um, might be set back for a bit longer. Yeah, you're right, St Kilda, just the biggest enigma so far of the 2021 season, without a doubt. For me, it has to be the Eagles as the biggest disappointment. Uh, it's interesting. I, I read on um, Fox, Fox Footy, they, they mentioned that the only time in history that, the, that, a, that a team that won the flag lost in that same season by... 97 points or more was Carlton in 1945. They beat South Melbourne in the grand final only a couple of months beforehand, a few months beforehand. They lost to Essendon by 100 points. But it's very rare for a team to go on and win the premiership after getting annihilated like that. The most recent example, again, from the same Fox, uh, Fox footy article, 2004, 
Port Adelaide went on to famously beat Brisbane in the grand final, denied the Lions four in a row. Sorry, Eli, for bringing that up if you're listening to this. But nevertheless, bizarrely, they lost to North Melbourne, who didn't play finals football that year, by 92 points in the same season. So can the Eagles pull off a port 2004? I don't think they can, because at least Port Adelaide in 2004, that North Melbourne game aside, knew how to win interstate. And now the Eagles, their three interstate losses, they've had one shellacking, one comfortable loss, and one heartbreaker. There you go, Eagles. Pick your poison. Three different kinds of interstate losses for you. I don't know what it is about West Coast and getting on a plane. Right, And you can argue, we'll get into this in a second, whether or not West Coast or Fremantle are in a better position, but at least the Dockers have won outside of WA. You know, they beat Crow, the, the, the Crows in Adelaide only last weekend. You know, they know how to travel. But West Coast, what the heck happened? They, they, they choked away a 33-point lead against St. Kilda and who were dead to right. And then they come out against the Geelong side, which that were gettable. Dangerfield out, Cameron in, didn't know how well he was going to play, didn't know whether or not he was going to gel. And that forward line straight away, they they had a great first quarter, leading that quarter time. 25, 30 minutes later, Mitch Duncan kicks a torpedo from 55 meters out and it's game over. It's, it's in it, it is inexplicable from West Coast. And it's a kind of loss, it reminds me of the St. Kilda loss to Essendon back in round three. Although you could argue St. Kilda's loss was worse because at least the Eagles lost to a premiership contender. But nevertheless, it's the kind of loss that you look at it and you start to question whether or not West Coast can recover from such a horrific defeat to truly challenge. Moving on to my second low light, there's such a myriad of choices to choose from. That's the thing about football. Normally, unless there's a draw, nine winners, nine losers. Sometimes in the buy rounds, six winners, six losers. But for me, just thinking off the top of my head, once again, it has to be Carlton. They weren't supposed to be two and four at the end of the stretch. They weren't supposed to be two and four. And forget the fact that they had challenging opponents during the opening six weeks. That was the whole point. They were supposed to prove themselves finals contenders by beating teams like Richmond, like Collingwood, back when we thought Collingwood was would challenge for the finals. Port Adelaide, Brisbane. I think, I think, I think Carlton this year are like the St Kilda of last year. The expectations were risen for Carlton to make a finals push this year, like St Kilda last year. And so far, Carlton aren't living up to that hype, it seems. Well, that's very true. And at least the Saints last year, they made for they won a final for crying out loud. Mm. So for me, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this team. Maybe, maybe a better analogy would be Melbourne from last year. You know, people expected them to rise back up the ladder after the horrible year in 2019 and play finals football. And they didn't. They just missed out. And Carlton are on track again to just miss out. Matthew Lloyd, for those who don't know, former Essendon champion, 
said on um, on a uh, footy show on the um, AFL's website with Damian Barrett. He, he asked the question whether or not Carlton are better than Essendon. And honestly, based off of what we've seen the first six weeks, I don't know. It's like you would you would have said after after round two, you know, Carlton, couple of honorable losses, Essendon a big loss against Port Adelaide, you would have said, okay, Carlton are at least better than the bombers. But now you look at sure, Carlton's worse, you know, Carlton's floor isn't as low as Essendon's floor, but Essendon's ceiling is much higher than Carlton based on their performances so far this year. And that makes no sense to me whatsoever for a team that's supposed to be playing finals football. And I watched some of those highlights from the game against Brisbane, especially in that second quarter, and the turnovers are amusing. They remind me of, of the turnovers during the Brendan Bolton years. And I look at some of them and I'm like, well, okay, I know they're not as bad as they were in 2017, 2018, in the first half of 2019 under Brendan Bolton. I know that. But they might be, if that makes sense. They, they might be that bad. I don't know how... Showing signs of that making, same ability, yeah. I don't know how they're making that many mistakes. Anyways, Carlton, still just as mediocre as they have been for the last 19 years. In before they beat you this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that being said, though, watch them beat us. Um, on to part two of the podcast, the major talking points that come out of a monster Anzac round. And before I continue, I do want to say any any veterans listening to this um, whether or not, or anyone who has family members who either have served or are currently serving, or if um, or if somehow you listen to this and you are currently serving, um, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for your service and thank you to your family members for your service. Um, and I think that all Australians will echo that um, that same sentiment. My first question to you, Liam. This could be a very interesting discussion considering the fact that the Eagles, I think, have won like 10 or 11 derbies in a row against Fremantle. It's been an incredible stretch. And over that time, back in 2015, when the Dockers last beat the Eagles, I think they kicked the first eight or nine goals of that game, Fremantle. West Coast came back a little bit, made it a tiny bit respectable, but it was a big Fremantle win. Since then, since that West Coast victory, in the second derby of the 2015 season, the Dockers and the Eagles have gone in opposite direction. Opposite directions. Eagles made the grand final that year, won the flag in 2018. Fremantle eliminated by Hawthorne in the prelim, crashed down to 16th in the most spectacular fall from grace you will ever see. Now though, the Eagles are coming off a nearly 100 point plus loss against Geelong and the Dockers are flying. Question for you, Liam, can the Dockers beat the Eagles and are they in a better position than West Coast? Well, I, I think it's hard to, you know, just fob off West Coast because in reality, they've been doing a great, you know, job of winning, you know, virtually every derby for the, the last six years, obviously. Uh, the last win for Fremantle was back in April 19th, 2015. So we're dealing with, 
you know, over six years of, um, you know, West Coast dominance. Um, and, you know, it's, it's hard to, to, I mean, I wouldn't go as far to say it's hard to back Fremantle. I think, you know, any team that loses by 97 points only, you know, a matter of days ago is, you know, beatable. Um, but, you know, West Coast have won the last 10 straight derbies. Um, so I, I, it's a real tough one to pick because everything points towards right now Fremantle being in a better position. But at the same time, the Eagles always seem to find a way to get over Fremantle. Um, I think the one thing that might tip the balance here is the injuries. Um, I think that the fact that the Eagles are without so many key players might be the thing which makes me think that maybe Fremantle could get over the line here. Yeah, you know, this is interesting, the uh, injuries that you just mentioned. But even without the injuries, even with the, 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 the players that the Eagles were missing in Geelong, you don't lose by 97 points if you're a good football team. Mm. And I know the Eagles are a lot harder to play at Optus Stadium than they are interstate. But so are Fremantle. The Dockers are building a, a, a home ground advantage that is becoming as formidable, if not more formidable, than the Eagles. And I always think that whenever you play a team from your home state, or at least a team that shares the same ground as you do, that home ground advantage disappears. So it cancels each other out for the Eagles and the Dockers. But I'm looking at the players you just mentioned, Shannon Hearn, Kennedy, both of those players might be back in. Petricelli might be back in. Liam Ryan probably won't be. Shuey's injured. Venables, Yo, um, McGovern. You're right. That is a substantial injury list. The Eagles' depth is being tested at the moment, and I don't think that they have a good. I don't think they have good depth. Actually, truthfully, I don't think they have good depth. Fremantle have good depth. You look at the players that they were that they've been missing for the first bit of the season. By the way, can we just give credit to the likes of Mundy, who's just in career best form now, in you know, well into his thirties. The man is just an absolute bloody timeless wonder. Even, even Richmond supporters who had to suffer through twice losing a game in heartbreaking fashion off the boot of David Mundy have to take their hat off to the man. I mean, he just keeps, it was, it was um, I think it was either Fox Sports article, an article on afl.com.au, which said that Mundy keeps defying his birth certificate. And it's true. You look at him play and you think, 27, 28, 29 years old. No, he's not. By all accounts, he should be fading towards retirement. And instead, he is kicking down the door, right? Going, this, I'm going out my way. And that is playing good football. And honestly, full kudos to him. But you look at the players out for the Dockers Chera, Hamlin, Stephen Hill, a couple of the young players too, Alex Pierce. Um, should be back in the next couple of weeks. Looking at the injury list on afl.com.au, it would be good to see him back. Hopefully he can start playing consistent football. Um, he needs a break from those injuries. Brennan Cox uh, might might play, might not play against the Eagles. Yeah, sure. Those names aren't as well-known or aren't as well-versed on the football field as some of the Eagles injuries. 
But the point is, is that it's these young players who are pushing the Dockers while also being supported by the veteran acts. Well, I feel like the Eagles, they're still playing, I think, too many older players. You know, it's not quite, it's not quite where the Crows were in 2018, 2019, where they continued to play those veterans um, before finally going with the youth in 2020. Uh, and it's not like Geelong now who have sold their future for a premiership this year. But the Eagles balance between youth and experience, I don't think it's there. So the long, the, sh the medium to long-term future, I think it's better for Fremantle than the Eagles, just because Fremantle have that base that can hopefully push them towards finals sooner rather than later. In the immediate, Adam Simpson, what he has to deal with is the mental health impact of a 97 point loss. Somehow, He's going to have to turn it around on his team and, and get them to push that out of their mind, but not so much that they keep repeating the same mistakes. They can't completely forget about it, but they but it can't be there. They're right? going to use it as a driving force. Exactly. So I've forgotten. I've gone on such a long rant. I've completely forgotten what the question was. Point is, do I think the Eagles are in a better position than the Dockers? Long to uh, medium to long term future, no. I still think that with those injured players back for both teams, that West Coast are a better team. Uh, however, we'll get into our tips for this weekend. Those injured players are still out, which means that the Eagles, I think, are very gettable. But we'll move on to the next topic. If I can just scroll and find those questions that I sent you. Uh, yes, here they are. Right. In 2009, the AFL world was treated to something that I don't reckon it had ever been seen before. Two undefeated teams, 13-0, meeting in round 14. It was a Sunday late afternoon clash, and yet it drew the highest ever crowd for an AFL game at Marvel Stadium then called Etihad Stadium. This year, the Dogs and the Demons, both 6-0, both with a very manageable schedule coming up. They meet in round 11. My question, Liam, can they go? Can they both go 10-0? before their round 11 meeting, thus setting up 2009 St. Kilda vs. Geelong part two. It's funny because when I was doing my research on this potential uh, matchup, the first thing that came to mind was the Geelong versus St. Kilda 2009 matchup because it's arguably one of the greatest home and away games that AFL fans have ever been treated to. Um, and if we do get treated to that again, I don't think any fan would be, you know, not excited at that prospect because seeing two potentially 10-0 teams going at it, locking horns would be an absolute thrilling game, I'm sure. Um, 
obviously they both would still need to win four more games and that's no easy feat because even though, like you said, they might have manageable schedules, the AFL is unpredictable. So who knows? Either one of these teams could uh, lose a game that they're expected to walk over. Um, So, I mean, I hope for it, but I'm not overly uh, expecting it because, you know, the likelihood is that one of them will lose one of their next four games. Um, And I did look at the two schedules for the teams and it looks like Melbourne probably has the slightly easier run of the two. Obviously, the Bulldogs do play Richmond this Friday. Uh, so that will be an absolute slobber of a game. Um, so I, I don't think it will happen, but I can only hope it does because especially as a, a uh, secondary Bulldogs, uh, they're my second team. So as a secondary Bulldog supporter, uh, I would love to see them get to 10-0. And if uh, Melbourne somehow managed it and you know would have faced the Bulldogs, it would be quite the spectacle. So I hope for it, but I'm not expecting it. How about yourself? Dogs play the power in round nine as well. Play Tigers this weekend. Two games after that, play the power at the Adelaide Oval, which tough is game. It's, a, it's a tough game. It's a tough yeah. game. Their other two games, they play the Saints after the Port game. And next weekend, they play Carlton. Two very winnable games for the Dogs. Melbourne, on the other hand, looking at their draw. They play North Melbourne in Tasmania. The AFL has confirmed that that game will be played in Tasmania, so it hasn't been moved to Melbourne. After that, they play the Swans at the MCG. Two very winnable games there. They play Carlton in round nine. Again, very winnable. Round 10, potentially a danger game, playing the Crows at the Adelaide Oval. Adelaide, tricky to beat there. But again, that should be a game that they should win. So I agree with you that Melbourne has the easier run. Oh, then- I was just going to say, by the way, you, you said that uh, the game in Tasmania hasn't been moved this weekend. Does it really matter where North Melbourne play? <laughs> <laughs> well, you say that, but their record in Tasmania is fantastic. True, it is. It is fantastic. It Yet is again, though, and again, Melbourne played in Canberra against a Giants team that doesn't lose in Canberra. And they shook them off with ease. The so, AFL is unpredictable. AFL is unpredictable. You know what's interesting, Streak? The last 18, I'm done off the top of my head, the last 18 times that the Kangaroos and the Demons have met, North Melbourne has won 16 of them. That's an incredible streak. That being said, though, out of the last three times, the Demons have won twice. So it's a pretty, you know, good recent streak, Melbourne. Ignore the previous 10 years before that. It's a pretty good, you know, since 2018, the ledger is in your favour. I think the Demons are a better chance going 10-0 than the Dogs. Can I see the Dogs beating Richmond? Absolutely, with the outs that Richmond have and the form the Tigers are in. Can I see the Dogs beating Port Adelaide? Less confident but I can absolutely see that happening. I don't see a reason why not, with the exception of that Port Adelaide versus Western Bulldogs game. I can't see why not. We can't, I can't, I, We could totally have, imagine Friday night football at Marvel Stadium, Dogs versus Dees, the winner goes to 11-0. Like, that is so exciting. Also, interesting little tidbit, stat from the AFL, 
the only two times so far this century, with the exception of 2021, that two teams in the same season have gone 6-0. and That was the grand final matchup. 2008, Geelong and Hawthorne. Obviously, 2009 mentioned that 13-0 and game in round 14. St. Kilda versus Geelong. Dogs versus Demons. A lot of water to go under the bridge yet. Port Adelaide, probably have a say in it. Brisbane, Geelong. Tigers, no doubt, when they get their players back, will again make a charge for the Premiership. They'll undoubtedly have a say in it. But as for right now, Dogs fans and Demons fans, they don't want to be getting too far ahead of themselves, but they're probably Googling the price for AFL Grand Final tickets. They're not buying it yet. They're not, they're not buying it yet, but they're just Googling it and factoring it in to their spending, whether or not they can afford it. So, Casper, you just mentioned, obviously, that you think Richmond will undoubtedly make a push. You also mentioned to me earlier this week as one of our talking discussion points whether the Tigers are in trouble or not. So what what's your thinking behind that? Mm, that is indeed a good question that uh, that I asked you. Yes, indeed a very good question if I do toot my own horn. Um, <laughs> are they in trouble? I think they might be. And I say this because, and I, and I I know, I know what some people are going to be saying, but the Tigers always start off the season like this. Yeah, they don't lose at the MCG the way that they've been losing at the MCG. They don't get crushed at the MCG multiple times in the same season, let alone the same three-week period. That doesn't happen. And you're looking at the new rules, and Richmond don't seem to be adapting to them very well especially the standing mark rule, right? Standing mark, it saw an analysis after the Swans lost in round three that the Tigers, you know, they used to, right, man on the mark, used to be able to put so much more pressure on the kicker and used to be able to peel off. Now you've got to stand still. Now all of a sudden, that Richmond wave going back into defense has almost dried up completely. I look at the injuries, I look at their form at the MCG, their fortress, and I look at who they're yet to play. And I just think that something's not right at Richmond. And I know they'll get it together because they're Richmond and history repeats itself, right? I know they'll get it together eventually, but this time I doubt that they can win 12 in a row, like they did at the back end of 2019 to go on to win the premiership. I doubt that. And their star players are only going to get older. They're not getting any younger, that's for sure. I mean, I know, I know Richmond players are great, but they haven't figured out how to reverse time and space, right? And not that Someone right. has done that, by the way. Whew, give me a number. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think Richmond... Not panic button time yet, but the finger is being lifted. Not heading towards yet, but the finger's being lifted. How about you, Liam? Yeah, I, I mean, I was the sort of person who last year when everybody was starting to raise their concerns about Richmond, just thought, I'm not I'm not buying into this because Richmond always come good. Um, and, you know, sure enough, three in four years. 
Um, and, you know, when you've won three premierships in four years, I think you you gain the right to be given a bit more leniency, even if you do have a bit of a bad run. Obviously, you like I said, I think you, you deserve more leniency, but you also get more scrutiny because the expectations of you are just astronomically higher than pretty much every other team. Um, so I think the Richmond will come good. I think they'll make finals without a doubt. They'll probably make a push for top four as well come September. Um and I think one of the, the good things is for them, despite the them having an extensive in, extensive injury list, there isn't many long-term injuries there, which are, you know, key players and, you know, they're starting 22. You know, you look at Martin, it's a couple of weeks. You look at Lambert and you look at Prestia a month, perhaps at most, and Vlossen, like Martin, only a, a week or two. So, you know, by the end of May, they could have almost virtually a, a fully fit, you know, main team. Um so I think that if they can just get through the next month with two or three wins out of their four games, I think they set themselves up for a strong end of the year where they could, you know, maybe not win every game, but all but one or two. And, you know, they'll sit, you know, borderline top four. So I don't think they're in trouble yet, but if they can't have a semi-consistent run between probably over the next month, I think it could begin to get a little bit sceptical for them. Is it all right, Liam, if, if I start with this last one? I'm going to start off this last question. Can the Suns play good, consistent football? Wasn't that a great win by the Gold Coast Suns? Goodness gracious me. You know, I look at the statistics and I am absolutely stunned to learn the fact that the Swans had one more inside 50 than Gold Coast for that entire game. And yet only had 24.5% disposal efficiency inside their forward 50 this once. And to me, that speaks to the pressure that the Suns put the Swans under. It was a hallmark of their victory against North Melbourne in round two. It was a hallmark about how well they played at the start of 2020 when they crushed the Eagles, which I predicted, uh, when they beat Fremantle. You know, good wins, brought upon by pressure. My question is though, young team, with a history of not following up on from, from good wins with follow-up victories immediately after that, can the Suns play consistent football? They have a perfect opportunity to prove it this weekend against Collingwood. Week after that, just double-checking the fixture, they play the Saints at home. Fantastic opportunity for them to win again. Round nine, they play the Lions. Q Clash, normally unpredictable, normally a really close game. Suns haven't won it since 2018. You know, they're going to be up and about for that one, especially because it's at home. And round 10 is their next really big test down in Geelong. But looking at those three games before the game against Geelong, they could totally win three in a row. Why not? And then all of a sudden, all the talk that surrounded the Suns after the after halftime or at halftime of their loss against the Dogs when they conceded the first 11 goals of that game dissipates. They don't play at the MCG. They rarely win at the MCG when they do play there. They've never beaten Collingwood at the MCG. Can they do it this time? I reckon they can. And if they can, what a great launching pad 
to launch their sales towards final football. The suns are rising. The suns are rising and they're bringing the heat on the rest of the competition. Great I'll be here all weeks, by the way. Great <laughs> comedian. Anyone looking, anyone, anyone runs a comedy club, contact me, right? Love to make a little bit of money, a little bit of a sidekick. <laughs> um, yeah, I think a lot of the points you discussed are pretty much kind of mirroring what I was going to say. I think it's kind of about them. I think whenever I think of Gold Coast, I, I instantly think to, to Brisbane because obviously they're crosstown rivals in a sense. And I think of how Brisbane have transformed themselves into the force that they have been for the last, you know, 18 to 24 months. And it was, I think obviously they, they had a good base of young players at Brisbane, but what really springboarded them to the ability that they've gotten to is that good core group of experienced players, which were there to support the young players. And I think that's a little bit of the thing that's lacking with the Gold Coast. I feel like they need two or three, you know, over 30 players from successful teams like Brisbane have done with Birchall this year and Hodge of the last couple of years. I think, I think that um, Gold Coast need to go and do a similar thing. Grab a couple of super successful players who are probably past their best now, who can kind of really help those young players and kind of, you know, uh, guide them essentially to, to success. Like, you know, like I said, uh, Hodge has done with Brisbane and Birchall now there. Um, with that being said, they're like you, said um they do have a good couple of games here for the suns to try and get a bit of a run going um and as for the collingwood game this weekend i mean it feels like whenever collingwood play a team that's kind of you know a semi-new team to the comp whether you know be gws or the suns or even as far back as like you know Fremantle and such of the 90s every couple of years there's some new record that these teams break against collingwood and i can already see at the final siren the commentator saying and Gold Coast have sealed their first victory against Collingwood at the MCG. I can already hear it in the back of my head. Um, so I hope it doesn't happen, but it could quite easily happen. So I, I think the Suns could become a consistent team, but I think if they're to become a force like we've seen with Brisbane in the last few years, I think they've got to go into the market uh, and get a couple of pr proper, experienced, successful players. I don't, I don't think... That means they can't make the finals this year. I think that's more than capable of them. But I think to become a proper force, they need more experience for me. Muted myself seems to be, you know, it's interesting, right? Year plus of using Zoom and I still accidentally mute myself. Amazing, incredible. No, I fully agree with you. How great is Queensland football at the moment? Can we can we take a second? How great is Queensland football? You know, 2015, it was the, you know, I know, it was a Victorian club that won the premiership. I know that, but really was the year of WA football. Nearly had a full WA grand final, which would have been awesome uh, instead of the one-sided horrible contest that we ended up getting. And I'm not just saying that because I hate Hawthorne. It was genuinely a terrible game of football. 2016, the year of New South Wales. Swans finishing on top. The Giants finishing fourth, that's Sydney versus GWS. Great. 2017, South Australia's turn. Port Adelaide almost making the top four. Crows making it to the grand final, obviously. And all that time, Queensland football was awful. Both teams sucked and sucked a lot. 
They sucked like a vampire walking into a room full of sleeping people with their necks exposed. They suck so bad, or they used to. Now, Brisbane, and I know the subpar start to the season, they're back. Don't worry about that. They are back. Brisbane, back. Gold Coast could, could, could push your finals football. The rebirth of Queensland football, the renaissance of footy in that state, it's awesome. And as an AFL fan, I normally don't look, right, truthfully, maybe it's just because I, you know, didn't grow up in Australia with that whole AFL versus NRL mentality. But I've got to say, even as someone who doesn't mind a little bit of rugby league, to see the Queensland AFL teams doing as well as they are and, and looking at what they could be this year, while also looking at how much the Gold Coast Titans are, eh, they're okay. The North Queensland Cowboys are pretty mediocre and how awful the Brisbane Broncos are. Just warms my heart. I don't know why, it just does. It just warms my heart. Mm. On to, there's a loud clap. On to the third and final part of this podcast episode. If you think that uh, round seven is gonna be big, I reckon that you're right, dear listener. Round six was huge. Round seven promises to be even bigger. And it starts off with, I think, the most intriguing Friday night game we've had in a very, very long time. The Wounded Tigers up against the Red Hot Dogs. Friday night football at the MCG. Now, I don't know if you're going to beat the 78,000 crowd they've got on Anzac Day. Probably not. But I reckon you'll get 60,000 plus people there easily. Maybe 65,000. Actually, no, do you know what? Why not? 85,000 people. 85,000 people at the game watching the Tigers and the Dogs. I'll start off this one, Liam, if that's all right. I'm tipping the Dogs by 23 points simply because Richmond's injury is too much to deal with. The Dogs are in such a rich vein of form. They're not going to let this opportunity slip because, interestingly enough, and I don't bet. But interestingly enough, looking at um, the AFL segment between Damian Barrett and Matthew Lloyd, where they review the round, it just was called Access All Areas. If you haven't checked it out, it always included a little betting segment in it. And it, it showed that Richmond are still ahead of the dogs on the premiership market. And I reckon that if the dogs found out about that, I'm sure that some players already have, they would look at that and they would be frothing with anger because they would be saying how on earth how, just because they've won three out of the last four flags right people think that richmond are you know they're more likely to win the premierships than we are and the, wouldn't the bulldogs want to go under the radar though wouldn't they just kind of like to be like we'll just do our work behind the scenes and then we'll strike when it matters this is when it matters this is when it matters okay you can belt the north melbournes of this world by 128 points every week okay you can, you can kick 11 goals to one in the first half against the Gold Coast Suns of this, of this world, right, every other week. But it's not often that you get an opportunity to truly stamp yourself as the best team in the competition 
playing against a team that is currently regarded as the best team in the competition. And the dogs have that opportunity. Imagine, even without Dustin Martin, the names, the names that are going to be out there on this football field. Oh, my goodness. If, if, you, if you do fantasy, um, fan, is it called fantasy football? It might be. You know where you select players and they earn a certain amount of points? Yeah. If you do that, this game must be a goldmine for you. It must be such a wonderful opportunity. Just fill your team with Richmond players, with Bulldogs players, and maybe a handful of Demon players sprinkled in there, right? Just sprinkle them in there like the salt guy from that meme. Salt bay. Yeah, salt bay, that's it. What a fantastic opportunity for the dogs. They're not going to pass this one up. It could be closer, but I think 23 points just because of the um, – the, uh, the injuries that Richmond have, I could totally see this going the way of the Anzac Day game, close to three and a half quarters, and then the dogs kicking away. How about you, Liam? Can the Tigers rebound? Yeah, I mean, huge game for both teams. Um, I think more so for the Bulldogs because of what this could mean for them. But obviously for Richmond, it's important too. They need to try and, you know, get back on track. Um, but yeah, Richmond's injury list is quite extensive. Martin, Voss, and Prestia, Lambert, all out. Um, but the Dogs, obviously, now without Dunkley and English, I think, you know, the two major uh, injuries for them. Um, it, it's been a bit of a wild history, recent history between these two teams. You've got comfortable wins for Richmond and Bulldogs, and then you've got an absolute crackerjack close game between them. So <laughs> who knows what we could get this Friday? Um, but I think the key for Richmond trying to have a, a strong chance in this game is stopping the brilliant dogs midfield um, who are averaging 40.7 clearances a game, which is almost nine more than Richmond on average, who are averaging just under 32. So yeah, I think if Richmond are going to stand a strong chance in this game, they need to stop the clearance game of the Bulldogs because right now, statistically speaking, the, the Bulldogs midfield would annihilate Richmond at the stoppages. Um so I think that's going to be the key for Richmond. I think that a lot of what uh, they're looking at this week would probably be trying to nullify the Bulldogs' clearance game. Um, so I think this game could be anything. I think that we could see either team kind of break away, but we could also see another brilliant encounter. Um, and because I want it to happen, I'm going to back the Bulldogs by 15 points. Sometimes football is just like keeping Tinkerbell alive. You just gotta clap. You gotta believe for it to happen. Come on, kids! You gotta believe. You gotta believe. You gotta clap. Clap at home. Clap at home. Speaking of believing, the lights were in the staircase that I'm sitting in. I've just turned on. And Bucks better hope that the lights are gonna turn on for him on Saturday and for his team. Liam, I'll let you start off with this one: Collingwood versus Gold Coast at the MCG. Can Collingwood stop a three-game, oh, excuse me, four-game slide? They're 17th on the ladder. Can they? Yes. Will they? Probably not. Um, <laughs> when it comes to Collingwood, I, I, I never know what to expect because I could quite easily get them playing like they did against Carlton and just play brilliantly, or I could get them playing like they did against Essendon and want to rip my eyeballs out of their sockets. Um, both sides are missing quite a few players. Like I said earlier, you know, the likes of Wits is out, Rowell's out, um, Collingwood without Elliot, Howe and Adams. Um, 
I mean, Collingwood have won the last three games against the Gold Coast. And like we've already said, they haven't lost to the Gold Coast at the MCG. So all historical signs point to a Collingwood win. Um, However, everything now points to a Gold Coast win. So it's a battle of kind of history versus logic. Um, And again, more through hope than expectation, I'm going to back Collingwood to win by 21 points. Not because I think it'll happen, but because I want to just wish it to happen and I'm going to just wish it over the line, hopefully. What about yourself? You might be surprised to learn that I am tipping Collingwood for this game. Which is weird, right? Because I look at this and and part of my brain just refuses to, to believe that Collingwood is this bad because it's almost like I'm in a great dream and I know I'm going to wake up and then be slapped in the face by reality and Collingwood's going to make the finals. I just know it's going to happen like that. And so part of me doesn't want to believe I hope it does. real. Part of me doesn't want to believe that the current reality that Collingwood are 17th on the ladder and the only team with just one win so far this season because when I do wake up, it's going to hurt all the more that I believe such a reality exists. That being said, though, that is the reality that we do exist that we do exist in. Collingwood 17th, Gold Coast coming off a great win against the Swans, unexpected win against the Swans. As a Sydney, as someone who loves the Swans, getting a little bit sick and tired of the Suns upsetting Sydney. You know, it happened twice now, and honestly, once was way more than enough. This point is getting a little bit ridiculous. I'm looking at this game. And I'm thinking that if Collingwood lose, there's no way that Bucks coaches in 2022. Surely, surely he won't even see out this season. The fact that your new president came out and said that we expect to play finals in 2021 still. How about that for pressure for Bucks? Like you just got done in the space of three weeks, you lost to the Giants who before that game hadn't won a game of football in 2021 by five goals. And then two weeks later, you lost to the Bombers, who were uh, eight days removed from a 50-point-plus loss against Brisbane in Bangladesh. Sorry, Brisbane. It was as wet as it was as wet Bangladesh. As, it was as wet as Bangladesh, that's for sure. Bangladesh, Brisbane doesn't make any difference they were playing in the pacific ocean and brisbane still beat them by 50 points and then that same team that lost to brisbane there then beat collingwood by four goals so now my question is collingwood should win this game and i see you you're in excruciating pain i'm trying to drag this out for as long as possible but don't worry we'll move on we'll move on soon (laughs) collingwood should win this game and I'm tip, I'm tip them to win. If they lose, surely Bucks is out during that during the season bye. Surely, surely they, surely he's gone. Surely he's gone, and it won't necessarily be his fault. It'll be the fault of the list manager. It'll be the fault of the last president and this president, and it'll be the fault of the underperforming players and the injury gods all wrapped up into one. I, I think the whole Bucks debate, I think he survived 2017, which was very similar to how, well, not very similar, but has some similarities to this year. 
And then the next year, obviously, we went on to make the grand final. Now, obviously, I don't think that that's going to happen. I don't think Collingwood are going to make the 2022 grand final. And I think the, the biggest difference in that is the list. I think back then we had a list which was better than the position we were in. Whereas I think this year, I still think our list is better than 17th. I still think this is a list which is borderline capable of making finals. But I think that, you know, I, I think Buckley probably deserves to at least see out the season. I think that if I was the president, I would give him till the end of the year before I make a decision because I wouldn't want to be going into the second half of the season trying to find someone else and then getting kind of lost essentially without you know, a good coach to take over. I'd rather wait till the end of the season and then you have plenty of time to find a suitable replacement. But that's just my two cents on the whole Collingwood coaching issue, I suppose. What was the advantage of a team terminating the coach's job? Terminating, that's such an official word, but terminating a, their coaches, their senior coach's um, job midway through a season is that they get to give someone an opportunity to prove their stuff. Mm-hmm. And from that, occasionally you get duds, but from that, you can unleash a new coaching talent upon the football world. The Saints probably wouldn't have made finals last year if it wasn't for a certain assistant coach getting a coaching opportunity after Alan Richardson was fired for the last five or six games of the year to prove his stuff. And he did made finals in 2020, struggling now, but nevertheless, it's a good decision by St. Kilda at the time. But that's a long time away. What's more immediate, Adelaide versus GWS at the Adelaide Oval. This could be interesting, uh, but I think with the Giants, they're still such a young team, GWS, on an impressive streak. They should have beaten the Swans by more around five. At least they were on an impressive streak, lost to the Dogs. I think the Crows at home are still too good. And I know, I know, I know they lost to Fremantle, but I think that Fremantle, that was more of a case of how good Fremantle are instead of how bad the Crows are. So. With that, and with my computer battery nearly at an end, right through these last few games, tipping the Crows to win by about 14 points. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I think I'm with you on that. I think both teams have extensive injury lists. Um, so I, I think the injury lists kind of cancelled themselves out. I think both teams are without enough key players that we don't need to really say one team is probably... I mean, okay. I'll say this. I think that GWS are missing more key players. That's all I'll say on that more. I won't say any more on the injuries. Um, but I do think that, yeah, I think Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval um, are probably going to be too strong for GWS. And also, I'm looking at statistics right here. Adelaide have almost five more marks inside 50 on average a game. GWS are down at under eight marks inside 50 a game. So unless, you know, Finlayson or... Himmelberg or Toby Green have one of those games, I think it's going to be a, a big struggle for them. Um, so I'm going to tip Adelaide to win by 32 points. Yep, can totally see that happening. Moving on to Saturday afternoon, twilight-ish football, St Kilda versus Hawthorne at Marvel Stadium. Read through this, Hawthorne in a better position than St Kilda currently, which is mind-boggling to say. 
I do think the Saints are better than what they're playing, but the Hawks are going to be riding off that high from that Crows comeback. Maybe Hawthorne should, I don't know, give up five goal leads to oppositions more often so that they can wheel them back in and then win. I don't know. That seems their only way to win games at the moment. Hawthorne will win by 17 points. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that one as well. I think Hawthorne are on a little bit of a run. Um, CJ has been showing off his rig recently. <laughs> Very impressive. My goodness. Um, so, uh, <laughs> not that that has anything to do with performance, obviously, but just thought I'd throw that in there um, <laughs> just randomly. Um, but yeah, I think St Kilda are a little bit all over the place. I think Hawthorne are in a fairly reasonable position to maybe get a couple of wins on the bounce. So I'm going to go with you. I think that Hawthorne will win by 25 points. On to Saturday Night Football from the SCG, this game. I was excited about it two weeks ago. Now I'm less excited for it. Sydney versus Geelong. Liam, I'll let you start with this one. Can the Swans pull it off? Pull off the massive upset? Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say it'd be a massive upset. Sydney were, what, 4-0 and at one point? So... I don't think it'd be a massive upset, but it would be a surprise in the context of how the things have been going the last couple of weeks. Um, and Geelong off that flying win against West Coast. Um, I think anyone would be crazy to go against them. <laughs> um, so even though Sydney have been pretty good this year, I will back Geelong just because any team that win by 97 points against West Coast, you'd be crazy to go against. So I'm going to back Geelong to get a somewhat scraped win over the line by 15 points against Sydney. Normally, <laughs> it's become a bit of a trend. I, uh, I'm forced to eat my words by the end of a football season. It normally doesn't happen six weeks into it. However, Geelong is forcing me into this position. Um, I'll say this, Geelong fully deserve to be favorites for this game. And I think they will win this game. So for me, with the Swans, they're tiring. They'll 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 get better, right? I don't think that you know it'll be a total free fall, but it won't be this week. Geelong will be too good. I reckon the catch by four goals onto the other Saturday night game: Brisbane versus Port Adelaide at the Gabba. Because this game is at the Gabba, and Brisbane have a great recent record against Port Adelaide, like really really good. I'm tipping the Lions by five goals. How about you? I'm going to put a little bit of an interesting one in there. I think Port are going to get the win. I just think, you know, they had a good... I don't know, man. I just feel like Port are just... I don't know. They're in good form. <laughs> uh, you know, crunching win against St Kilda. And I think that Port feel like they're kind of... I don't know. It's similar to last year. I think they've got a very strong kind of consistent run. And they're going to be, they're going to be a force come finals time. So I think that... I'm going to throw a bit of a spanner in the works. I'm going to back Port to win by 20 points. On to Sunday's matches, North Melbourne versus Melbourne. This game will be played in Hobart after the AFL confirmed that earlier today. But it's as you mentioned, Liam, it doesn't matter where this game is being played. It could be played in Honolulu, Hawaii, for all I care. Melbourne will win by 44 points, and that does feel a little bit generous. But North Melbourne, would I be... One, would I be totally shocked if North Melbourne pulled off the upset? No, because again, they played very well down in Tasmania. It's almost like they should relocate there, question mark. Anyways, 
what about you? Melbourne versus North Melbourne, who's which which Melbourne is going to come out on top? Will it be Melbourne or the North version of Melbourne? Well, I mean, I'm a member of the Northern Melbourne communities, but I do think it's going to be just Central Melbourne who get the win. I was surprised that you only said 44 points because you love to tip a huge thrashing. Uh, it's very Casper-like. Um, I'll be a little bit more generous to Melbourne. I'll, I'll say they're going to win by 67 points. I think that North are just way off the pace, to be honest. I think they're going to struggle wow. to get past anything. But like you said, maybe they'll pull something off because it is Tasmania after all. Weirder things have happened. Essendon versus Carlton at the MCG. Liam, which arch enemy of Collingwood are you going to tip? Keep in mind there's one right answer to this. <laughs> I am going to tip Essendon. Um, I think Correct com- answer. Good man. <laughs> I think coming off that win against Collingwood, um, the morale is high in the Essendon camp. I think Carlton are a little bit down in the dumps. Um, and I, I think, you know, Essendon are poised well to maybe get a couple of wins on the bounce. So I will back Essendon in a thrilling encounter, though, to win by eight points. Ooh, I'm going to tip us by double that, 16 points. Absolute comfortable victory. Um, No, I'll say this, right? Carlton are going to have something to prove, right? Because it's one thing not being able to beat the teams above you, but losing to Essendon in 2021, dang. Dang. That being said, though, Carlton are ripe for the picking, especially after that energizing victory against Collingwood. It's going to be a good game of football, as games between these two teams normally are. Um, would I be shocked if Carlton once again break my heart by beating my Bombers? No, I wouldn't be. But at the same time, would I be shocked if Essendon win by 50 points? No, I wouldn't be. And I sure hope we do, because I hate Carlton. In case you're listening to this as a Carlton supporter, nothing against you. I just hate your football team. Moving on to the final game of the weekend, the Western Derby. Fremantle versus West Coast. Sounds like a title for a Western movie, the Western Derby. 2021, almost six years exactly since the Dockers last beat the Eagles. Actually, probably just over six years since the Dockers last beat the Eagles. Now, heading into it with a real opportunity for the first time, probably since 2015, to beat the Eagles. Can they do it, Liam? Can they do it? Do you know what? They absolutely can. Fremantle fans, rejoice. Your derby drought will come to an end. I think that you will win by 20 points. It's going to be a good game of football. It's going to be a tight game of football. West Coast will throw everything at you. Perhaps a poor choice of words, considering what Andrew Gaff did to uh, did to a young Fremantle player back in 2018. Poor choice of words. But West Coast will challenge you guys. But I think you're mature enough to handle all that pressure, especially after what you've shown the first six weeks. Fremantle are good. Maybe finals good. Maybe not. Liam, how about you? Can the Eagles continue their derby dominance or will the Dockers denounce the Eagles as the best team in the West. I don't know. I tried to run with the um tried to run with the the the, the sound, but anyways, it d- didn't work. Anyways. I'll grab my coin before I make my decision. No, I won't. Okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll make a judgment decision because I, I even though I do think you can flip a coin and be probably as likely to pick this as you would if you tried to make a judgment call, I'm gonna actually pick a surprise result here. 
And I say that not because it would be a surprise for either of these teams to win, because I think either very well could, but because I'm going to pick an emphatic victory for West Coast by 40 points. I think that loss to Geelong is going to have riled up the West Coast camp. I think Kennedy and Darling are going to come out and roll back the years and kick bags of goals, maybe two or three for one and maybe five or six for the other. And I think West Coast are going to storm home to a 40-point win. What a turnaround. 97-point loss one weekend, 40-point win the next weekend. There you go, West Coast fans. You are on a roller coaster, and I hope that you have strapped in. (laughs) On to the last little little bit of the podcast episode. Liam, which game are you most looking forward to this weekend? Has to be Friday night. I just Mm. think that Bulldogs, being a team that I have soft spot for, up against a team which I hate in Richmond, but can admire how good they are, Uh, I think um, it has to be the game I'm most excited to watch. Uh, Although I will be eagerly watching the likes of the Brisbane Port game, because I think that will be a really good clash. And I also think that the Western Derby will also be a very good one. But I think the Friday night game is the one that I'm most excited to watch. I'm going to go for Brisbane Port Adelaide for mine. Two teams that lost prelim finals last year. Also close to the flag in 2020, both clubs. Lions also so close to the flag in 2019. Both teams with a point to prove heading into this one. Port Adelaide uh, with a poor recent history against Brisbane. Brisbane locking Neil out. Uh, should be a massive test without their best midfielder and one of the best midfielders in the competition, obviously reigning Brownlow medalist. It should be a good game. I'm excited to see what happens. Hopefully it's going to be a lot closer than the last two times that these two teams met. Which game do you think is going to be the blowout of the round? I'll start off with this one. Nice and easy. It'll be a Tazzy domination. Nope, shouldn't have gone with that one. It'll be a D-domination. That's it. Love my alliteration here on the podcast. Dear listener. Yeah, I mean, I could go and say the Melbourne game because that's the game that I'm expecting the biggest margin in. But I think purely because the expectations are building for this West Coast Fremantle game and the fact that I'm tipping a 40-point West Coast win, if that were to happen, it'd be a bit of a letdown considering how much of the expectation is on Fremantle to put in a competitive effort. So I could see that being the disappointing game considering the expectation on that game because I don't think many people are expecting much out of the North Melbourne-Melbourne game, if I'm being brutally honest. Yeah, that's fair. If I had to choose the most disappointing game, well, I can't choose that because in order for it to be a disappointing game, it has to surprise me negatively. (laughs) Moving on to next week, dear listener, join me and a co-host who is yet to be confirmed for a review of round seven and a preview of round eight, which promises to be even bigger than round seven, which I didn't even know was mathematically possible considering how big round seven is. But... (laughs) Before we get to round eight, we've got to get through round seven. Should be some blockbusters. Liam, thank you so much for joining me, my friend. I wish you well for Collingwood on Saturday, but at the same time, and thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casimir Cloud, and until next week, sayonara. Sayonara.